We are joined today by Stephen Sanderson, UCOG Executive Chairman. Stephen, you okay? Yeah, I'm good. I'm uh, sweltering in this um, balmy summer heat. Thanks very much for taking time out to talk to LSE Share Talk. So, just to pick up on today's RNS, uh, Stephen, the upgrade in the Paul and Island place, you've just got the new tech announcement through, but there's also a lot of stuff in the RNS. Yes, well, we um, we like to keep everybody uh, on their toes with information. I think the um, the you know the basis of the RNS is obviously new text, new work on the the Portland in the Horse Hill discovery. Um, the uh, the previous numbers that we'd released in May 2015, uh, we had a, a total um, best estimate, sort of P50, they call it. Um, the average, really, of uh, the total oil uh, in place contained within the, the structure was 21 million barrels. That was done by um, Exodus. Now, of course, you know that uh, you know we had our fantastic flow tests in um, February and March, and of course, the Portland flow was well beyond our expectations. It uh, it stabilised with a dry oil rate of. 323 barrels a day. Um, that was a record for um, any any uh, Portland stable flow rate in in the UK, certainly in the Weald Basin. And uh, the the most interesting thing about it was, apart from the rate, um, which I, I should say was actually limited by the the pump capacity. So it's possible that we, uh, when we go back in, we'll design it to test what the absolute maximum rate is using a bigger pump. But going back, the most interesting thing, um, apart from the rate, um, was the fact that um, there was actually no water produced. Now, um, I'll go. I'll I'll try and explain in in very simple terms because I know not everyone's a petroleum uh, geologist or or a reservoir engineer. Um, in this type of uh, oil accumulation, the um, the the oil is contained um, in the in the pore spaces. It's, of, of the reservoir. The reservoir is basically made, made of grains of sand, and in between those grains, there's obviously there's a space, right? Now, mostly in the in the subsurface, the sand, the the spaces in between the sand grains, would be filled with water. Most of the subsurface is filled with water, mostly salty water. So when oil comes into an oil field, oil being less, uh, much more uh, buoyant than water. It likes to find its way to the surface, so it migrates through the water in the sandstone and it becomes trapped. So essentially the oil builds up over time and actually sort of floats on the water. And the, 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 the oil um, has an interface between the oil and the water, and that's what we call an oil-water contact. That defines the limit of the field. Anyway, um, when you produce a well, after a short time, generally speaking, you always produce water because when you suck the oil out, the water level rises in the field, right? So actually, when, when Newtech looked at this, first of all, the actual uh, composition of those spaces between the rock grains was filled with oil and some water, and, and the percentage of water was quite high. So we fully expected, just like Brockham Field that's up the road, that when we uh, uh, had a flow of oil from... Uh, the, the Portland in Horse Hill, that we would actually start to see some water being produced. However, you know, we tested this thing for three days or so flowing, and um, 
it uh, there was absolutely no water. In fact, we we've got less than um, you know half a, half a water bottle, a one and a half liter water bottle full of water. So that was a big big surprise, a very good surprise. Um, the implications of um, low water are, are, are mostly um, economic in the sense that uh, when you produce a field, clearly you know you get money for the oil, but if you have to separate the oil from the water. You have to do something with the water. Um, normally, unless you have a big project and you can re-inject the water where it came from in the subsurface, you have to get a tanker to take it to an approved environment agency disposal site, and clearly that costs money. So that increases your, you know, your uh, your cost per barrel. So it has a big impact on economics. So if you the the less water you have, the more oil you have, and the more money you make. It's simple that your your profit per barrel is is generally much higher. So that's good in economics. Um, also has an implication on, potential implication on recovery factors from the reservoir itself, in the sense that if you're just producing dry oil, um, you have a much more efficient recovery um, than if you're producing oil and water, per se. So um, one more thing before, before I stop, and you can ask me the next question, is um, so... We had no water, so it was a, a, a surprise. So um, I brought this to New Tech's attention. They scratched their heads and said, okay, well, we'll have another look at the, 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 uh, the petrophysical interpretation. Um, petrophysics being, you can basically determine the, um, the percentage of oil and percentage of water in those little spaces between the sandstone grains that I described. Um, you could also uh, understand the actual size of, if you like, of those grains. So you can you can come up with um, an oil in place, you, you know, using the petrophysical um, analysis. So they went back. Um, they said, yeah, okay. They 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 took into account the water production, and they, that made them change their model. Um, they changed uh, some of the assumptions about the, um, the 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 water, the content in there. And basically, um, what what it's done is it's actually um, doubled the amount of what we call net pay, and and pay is basically the amount of uh, rock, the height of the rock within the reservoir that actually you can extract um, commercial hydrocarbons from. So before we had about 48 feet or so on their analysis in 2015, with this new analysis, bearing you know in mind the, the results from the well test. We have we have over a hundred feet, so there's double that. But it also has um, the actual percentages of oil versus water in the little spaces between the rocks has increased. So, you know, we we now are looking at in say the the one square mile around the Horse Hill well itself. They calculate now was it 22.9 million barrels in that one square mile in in April May 2015 for the um, review that Exodus did, we were looking at about 7.7 .7 million. So that's quite a big change. Um, so that, that that's very good for the oil in place in um, in Horse Hill in the Portland. It looks like a, well, I, I think it's a, you know, it's going to be a commercial field. Um, we'll clearly, um, we'll need to go back and flow test it for longer to see exactly what it's going to do. Um, I'm, I'm very encouraged by the um, the no water production because, as I said, that clearly has an impact on the um, on the economics. So, I think it's time for you to ask me another question. Now. It's free. <clears throat> no, no problem. So you're stating a 200% increase, but it's also free flown. The well doesn't need much stimulation. Well, no. Uh, 
this this is uh, the Portland is pumped. It doesn't. It's not. It doesn't flow under its. Um, um, it doesn't flow naturally like the Kimmeridge. Um, so it's it's pumped using a, a rod pump, which basically just sucks it out a bit, like um, you know, like a syringe, yeah. really. Um, so you know, we were limited by the uh, the pump size that we had because basically we weren't um, well, we hadn't envisaged that um, we would be you know producing at over 323 barrels a day. I mean, with the max we got was about nearly 360, but we had to um, slow the uh, the rate down on the pump because it was um, groaning a bit too much. <laughs> so um yeah so this is entirely unstimulated i mean we we uh we did use a little bit of um dilute hydrochloric acid which is pretty much every well drilled um in the uk almost on the planet uses to um clean up the um the cement in the perforations um i probably should explain what that means um if you imagine that the well is a bit like a a big long um cigar tube and uh, the cigar tube itself is the steel casing. Behind that casing is a layer of cement which bonds the um, the casing to the rock. And then in order to um, get the oil to flow in the reservoir unit, which in this case is about um, just over 100 foot thick, you basically go down there and you put in um, uh, shaped um, explosive charges and they blow a hole through the casing. Now, obviously, because you've got cement in there, some of that cement, um, you know, ends up as being a bit of debris, goes into the rock itself. Cement contains calcium carbonate, you know, component of limestone like the like the chalk uh, cliffs of Dover. If you put acid on it, it fizzes and it etches it away. So what you put in, you put in, um, I think we put in 100 barrels of acid. Most of that is then converted to um, um, calcium chloride salt small amount isn't used and that that comes back and is collected and is um, disposed of to um, an EA approved waste site. So that, that's what we did to the well. Um, we pumped it and, um, you know, we, we, we got the rates we did. Like you say, that's standard, standard, standard industry practice perforating the well in that, that way. Just, just to, uh, to go under the Kimbridge limestone zones, that, yeah. looks, really, that looks really interesting. Yeah, well, I think I think um, the, the main point from the RNS is that um, clearly, you know, the Portland produced higher than we thought, but had no water production, and uh, the Kimridge was exactly the same. You know, we we got very high rates from it. Um, you know, four hundred odd from the lower, and you know, almost nine hundred from the upper um, per day barrels per day. Um, but again. There was no water produced. Now, um, again, I, I, I said to Newtech, OK, look, these are the results. Um, they had all the test data anyway. Um, you need to go back and scratch your heads. And, you know, you need to, we, we need to find out whether the assumptions that we had um, underlying the oil in place in the Kimridge limestones and the Kimridge and all the other deep uh, um, uh, shales and limestones was in fact valid because you know you have to remember that Newtech's um, analysis of oil in place their petrophysics actually forms really the whole basis of what we were trying to do in the Kimridge I mean it's their their technology and expertise that basically led us to actually t uh, testing these zones and actually to say well there is movable oil in there that people have completely missed in the past so it's very 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 important if not crucial to um, for them to actually validate their prior interpretation. So that's entirely what they did, um, or exactly what they did. 
they went through and uh, basically they looked at uh, you know the results, compared it to their assumptions beforehand, and said actually yes, it's uh, the, the model is actually consistent, entirely consistent with what we've seen. So that that that's really um, fantastic validation for the whole basis of what we're doing in the Kimmeridge. It actually says that. Um, you know, to be perfectly frank, I mean, their prediction beforehand was that the the water that um, might be contained in the Kimmeridge limestones and the, and, and the shale surrounding it is actually not what we call mobile water, free water, that actually when you start sucking on a well, you know, you can pull it out. It's actually water that's bound in um, the mineral structure of the components of the rock itself. It's what we call bound water, so it's bound in the in the mineral structure of, of the grains that form the rock, if you like. So that, that's very important. So uh, basically that validates the, the numbers of oil in place for, um, for the Kimmeridge uh, itself, which I think we reported was, you know, 5.4 billion for the whole of the Horse Hill licenses. Um, and uh, it was a billion, almost a billion in place for the, the Kimmeridge limestones over um, the Horse Hill licenses as well. So that, that, that's very important because that, that validates all our future steps, basically, because um, now we know that, um, you know, we, we, we've hit, up, hit upon, um, you know, the answer to the problem. I mean, clearly, as we go forward, we'll have to, um, you know, modify the model. We'll have to add more data. We'll have to, you know, refine it. But I think, I think it's, people should be very comforted that, um, you know, that, that underlying basis for what we're doing in this type of new sort of limestone, Kimmeridge limestone resource plate has been validated by Newtech. And, and, and they're, of course, they're, they're cock-a-hoot because, you know, they can pat themselves on the back and say, well, they, they, they got this one right. But, well, just following the RNSs, like you say, this year, they definitely have got it right. You know, like I said, I don't know what size chalk, I can't remember now, you were using on your original floor tests. I think it's about half an inch, something like that. Half an inch. Just, just, just to push on a little bit, so... You're going to look for applications to seek permission to do production floor tests in the three Kimmeridge limestone zones, plus the overlay in Portland. And you're going to you're talking about a floor period of up to 360 days. Yeah, well, what we have to do next in order to move this towards you know as early a monetization as possible is we have to demonstrate uh, that we can get. Um, you know, a flow rate over a decent period of time, and we also um, use that to calculate what sort of volume. So we need to prove that we have a, you know, an economic volume. Everything looks very good so far, but you have to understand that these tests were only um, were very short. Um, unfortunately, they were short because the existing planning permission that we had over the, the license basically only allowed us, you know, um, just under 30 odd days, sorry, 40 days of, uh, of operation. So we, we push that to the limit. So now we have to come back and we have to go to the, the sort of the next um, phase of um, proof, if you like. So uh, what we're going to do is we're going to go back into um, each of the zones and flow them for, you know, days, weeks, maybe months, um, up yeah. to 90 days or so for each horizon. Possibly we don't need to do 90 days, but if you look at four times 90, that's 360, so it's a year. So that's that's we're we're, we're looking for the permission to give us enough room to do um, what it's needed. Now, of course, hopefully um, 
during these tests, you know, we produce oil. We can, uh, like at the the last flow test, we can, you know, tanker off the oil and um, and sell it. So hopefully we'll uh, we'll get some uh, revenue as well. But um, we won't count our chickens before they're hatched. But that that's the object of the exercise in brief. It's, it's to go back in there to collect uh, longer term um, flow data. And um, you know, if we see if we see enough, uh, you know, soon enough, then then we can stop and move on. I think uh, you know we're doing it for all the all the zones. We'll probably start with the Portland, um, and um, we're also going to test um, a deeper Kimmeridge uh, limestone zone that we didn't test in the previous one. Now that we know that the upper ones are good, um, we think this one is um, is another target. It's um, it's not as thick. It's um, forty odd foot thick, but um, it looks very similar to the others. So. Um, all things being equal, we want to go in and test that one too. Yeah, I'm just picking up on that, the two further appraisal development wells and also the acquisition of 3D seismic data. Yeah, well, you know, these are all steps. Um, yeah. You know, we've already, you have to bear in mind that um, we've we've leapt a couple of the steps in the flow test because we basically... Um, really designed the original flow test to actually just test the hypothesis that there was, in fact, you know, significant volumes of movable oil in these Kimmeridge limestones. Um, and um, so we didn't, I have to say, honestly, we didn't expect them to show a commercial rate. We thought we'd have to go back in and, and drill um, a horizontal well to get um, any, any meaningful rates. So, you know, we are where we are. We now know that we have actually commercial um, initial flow rates. I mean, more than commercial flow rates, really. Um, as I think I said before in um, in, a, in another release, I mean, we were looking at breaking even sort of flow rates from the Kimmeridge at about, you know, 350, 400 barrels a day. We, you know, our, our, our combined aggregate from the two limestones is nearly 1,400 barrels a day. So, you know, that, that, that looks very, very good. And that's only from a vertical well, not a horizontal. So the idea is that we basically use these tests to actually prove, you know, beyond doubt, if you like, the commerciality. And then we, we start the process of, um, of appraisal and almost development drilling. So then we, then we try out what is the, the most optimum way of extracting the oil, what, what is the best type of well to drill. Um, the, you know, the one appraisal will be for the, um, the Kimbridge well, if the, uh, the Kimbridge flow tests are good. And that will likely be a, a horizontal sidetrack from the existing well. So that means we use the majority of the existing well, the existing cigar tube that comes down from the surface down to just above the Kimbridge limestones. And then we'll just kick off at 90 degrees. So the well, the, um, the drilling bit will be going essentially parallel within the limestone, parallel to the top and the bottom of the limestone. So um, the reason that you drill a horizontal well is because you get um, a much higher flow rate from the same reservoir with a horizontal well versus a vertical, often more than three times the increment in, um, in flow rate between you know, three and up to 10 times at three. Three would be a good number. And then, of course, you know, with the Portland, if that's good, then basically we will probably drill just... Um, Portland, uh, well, not really an appraisal, I call it an appraisal, but actually really a, a production well. We'd, we'd really want to um, put that into, into full-time production and, uh, you know, probably have one tanker a day come in and take that to refinery and that will give us some, uh, some nice cash flow. Um, the 3D seismic is, you know, if we, is really designed entirely for the Kimmeridge limestones. If we need to drill more horizontal wells there, 
then clearly we need to know where these horizontal wells are going um, in, within yeah. the reservoir. So the only way really to um, understand that properly is by covering the area in 3D seismic so that we can locate the wells properly so that we don't... Um, um, you know, miss the reservoir, or we go in the, in the in the best part of the reservoir. Um, it will also allow us to understand the um, the faulting, um, which may or may not uh, control the you know the, the natural fracturing in there. So, but that that that's um, you know that's kind of the um, that's kind of a pre-development type of um, seismic survey, if you like. Yeah, but it's getting more. Prof it's very professional because I remember when Hill Fest started off. It was done on 2D seismic. Well, it's still 2D seismic. Yeah, but now you, that tells me you're going to target. So you're going to start targeting. You're looking specifically in certain areas, like you've just said, with the 3D. Yeah, I mean, there'll be, you know, sort of 50 square kilometres roughly um, um, over the Horse Hill area. So, you know, we'll uh, be able to site a few more um, horizontal wells correctly so that, um, you know, we, we, we get it right. Because, you know, those wells are reasonably expensive so um, you know you want to make sure that you put them in the right place and you've also like you say you've got Brockham about four miles away and that's been commercial that, what is it that flow hundreds 150 barrels a day well I think the the maximum it came on when it first started producing I think in the early 2000s um, yeah. was about 130 I think was the maximum it came on then it then it declined to 100 or so for a while but currently it produces but it's only um, 2830 something like that um that does respond to a little bit of um what they call um hot oil washing because there's a little bit of wax in that crude um all right which builds up so you have to um Lockage, yeah. basically flush it out with some hot hot oil and that, that makes everything um, more lubricated shall we say um a little bit of acid there also works in the reservoir i mean it's it's the same reservoir as um horse hill same age um sort of geologically it's slightly different at horse hill and of course you know the, the the big advantage at horse hill is that the oil is much um lighter in the sense that it's a much lighter density um and also it has a much lower viscosity than brockham so that means that it actually it's less sticky so it flows a lot easier so and of course so far we haven't seen any water produced um you know, which 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 makes you know the the Horse Hill Reservoir look um, look a lot better than Brockham actually. And looks it makes it look mm -hmm. very good actually with no water. Yeah, well, you know, I guess if we just had the if we had the Portland on its own, we'd still be very happy. But you know, it's kind of the cherry on the cake, if you like. No, that's great, Steve. Thanks very much for taking the time to talk to LSE Share Talk today. It's appreciated, truly. Okay, you're very welcome. All right, thank you.